0: Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to be continuing on in our study, and I'll be honest with you; it's kind of taken me a little bit longer to get through this chapter than what uh, I had originally anticipated. Uh, But nonetheless, every time I open up this chapter and I begin reading and thinking about uh, the next week. I get more and more out of it. And so some of this this morning, just to be honest with you, some of it's going to be a little bit of a repeat, uh, but I think there's some aspects of this that I didn't touch on last week that I'd like to touch on this week. And so um, we are in the midst of the book of Deuteronomy or a chapter in Deuteronomy, kind of looking at a section of scripture and how it pertains to our lives. And so... Uh, Last week, we uh, kind of wrapped up a couple of verses, but I want to give kind of a 30,000-foot view so we kind of all understand where we're at in the story uh, and what Moses is doing here. So uh, we're familiar with the Exodus story where uh, God's people were under Egyptian slavery for a number of years, and God calls a man named Moses, to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery and take them into a land that God had promised them, a land that we here described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, we learned last week that there, are, there, are, there were buildings there and vineyards planted and wells dug, and God was going to give all these things to his people uh, because he loved them, one, but two, because these other, these groups were evil and he was gonna drive them out and give God's people a place to flourish. Now, over the course of that, we see some rebellion in the book of Exodus of God's people and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and now they've come to this point where they are standing at the, at the precipice of this of this land that God is getting ready to prepare them, that they've been waiting 40 years to enter into. And, and Moses is addressing the people for one last time. He's not going into the promised land with them. Uh, he is going to be, he, uh, matter of fact, when they cross over, he's going to die and Joshua is going to assume command as they go in there. But the book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses's last uh, speech or last teaching moment that he has with, his, with these people. And, he, and so he's teaching a, a kind of a new generation of leadership. And these are, are people who have spent basically their entire adult lives growing up in the wilderness. And as they are preparing to enter into God's promised land, he wants to set them up for success. He wants them to know ahead of time what it's going to take for them to be successful as they enter into the promised land. Now, Deuteronomy chapter six is, is kind of a nice summary chapter of a lot of the things that, that, we, that, that Moses tells the people in this last uh, speech that he gives them, in the last message or this last um, almost a little bit of prophecy as we know what looks ahead into the, into the first and second kings and some of the things that happened there. Uh, we can go back... <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> we can go back earlier in the book of deuteronomy and and read in more detail some of the things that he's saying but the gist of it is this that he wanted these people to be set up for success and he and he knew that success was going to come through the worship of the one true god that they were coming out of a land that was filled with idols in Egypt. They were getting ready to go into another land that was filled with idols uh, in, 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 the, in the areas that they were gonna be uh, planted in. And he's wanting to tell them, listen, you need to worship the one true God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to me the book of Deuteronomy chapter six, and we're gonna begin reading uh, in verse four, uh, and then we'll go through about uh, verse 15, and then we'll pray. It says, "Hero Israel, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, uh, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and when when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear." And you shall not go after, the, uh, go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, uh, lest the anger, excuse me, of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Would you bow to me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, that uh, just as, as you have mentioned in this passage today. Uh, that, they, that, that you are the Lord, uh, their God, that you are the Lord, our God, the Lord, the same things that we can be reminded of today, that you are our God, that there is a personal relationship that takes place between you and us. And Father, I pray today that our hearts would be turned toward you, Father, that you would be the object of our worship, uh, you and you alone, that we would not turn aside to the other gods of the peoples around us. But Father, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our intellect, everything about us will be focused on you. Father, as we sang those songs this morning, Lord, as we, as we talked about uh, the, the Revelation song, Lord, and, 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 and how awesome and mighty you are, and God, that we would be filled with wonder of, of your magnificence and, and your majesty and your power. God, I pray that, that we would look and we would, as we sing songs like every day, Lord, that we would, uh, every day, Lord, uh, I live for you, that every day I want to follow after you, that every day, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I want to I walk in your way. I want to know you more and more. And Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to gain this understanding that there are, there are a lot of, 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 of things that the world defines as success. God, there's one thing that you define as success, that, God, you want our worship. And if our worship is right, our hearts will be right and our lives will be right. And so, Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that that maybe today, Lord, you would just be in our midst, that, God, you would uh, walk the aisles and and, and go in the pews, and, God, that you would just let your spirit rest on us today, that that we would hear from you, that we would uh, respond to you, Father, and God, I pray that if maybe we're here this morning and maybe today we're chasing after some other gods, lowercase g gods, that God, you would help us to, 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 to renounce those, Father, and just turn to you and God, that because you're the one that's worthy of all our praise and adoration. And Father, we're thankful today for the opportunity to be here together, God, that you just, we ask and pray that you'd move in our midst today, for it's in Christ's name we ask it all, and all God's people said Amen. As we kind of turn to the scriptures and kind of go through this a little bit, the whole emphasis on this is loving the Lord our God, and this love being generated uh, by by an acknowledgement of what God has done for us, and also uh, in 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 in. Uh, understanding who he is and what he has done. And so as we get into this, that's kind of where uh, Moses starts. He says, you know, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So we see this emphasis being placed on this idea uh, of this love that he, he, Moses desires for us to have uh, with, our, with, 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 with our Lord. And so last, we talked about that really the first week of this study. And then we get into where we're at today when he says, and when the Lord, your God brings You into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And he talks about the houses they didn't build and the things that are in them that they didn't put in there. And he talks about the vineyards and the orchards that were planted. Uh, and, And he says, and so there's all this blessing that's associated with this. And we spent some time last week talking about that. But then there's this there's this weird statement that happens and, and so he's talking about all these good things that God is doing for them, cities they didn't build, so he's not taking them into a, a barren wasteland and saying, all right, we're going to start from scratch and build this thing up. He says, all this stuff has been laid out for you, now you just need to go in and take possession of it. I'm going to go before you. You can get into chapter 7, 8, and 9 where God says, I'm going to go before you and, and, and all you're going to have to do is drive them out because the battle has already Already been won, and then he shifts gears a little bit and he, and he says, He says something, he says this, and he says, Then you know, when, when all this happened, when you've eaten and are full, verse 11, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Now that seems a little bit out of place there because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking back and I'm going, man, if I had just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and I'm on the, the edge of this, this mountainside or this hillside and I'm looking out into the land that God has prepared to give me and I can remember when God set us free from, the, from Egyptian slavery and I remember when we crossed over in the Red Sea. I remember how he paved the way for us in the wilderness. We never went hungry. We never went thirsty. Our clothes never wore out. Our feet never swelled. And now he's getting ready to fulfill his promise to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that sent us into the promised land, a place that he's prepared for us. Of course I'm not going to forget the Lord, right? Of course I, and, 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 but there's almost a prophetic nature to this. Because as we get into the rest of Joshua, and we get into First and Second Kings, we begin to see how their devotion begins to wane. That though God had done all these wonderful things for his people, eventually they begin, they fail to drive the people out. They do the very things that God had told them not to do. And the next thing you know, there's this proliferation of Baal and Asherah and these other idols that are coming into the god, basically the gods of the peoples around us and, it, and they're making their way into the lives of God's people. In fact, to the point that we get about 1 Kings chapter 16 and we have a king named Ahaz who was king over a portion of Israel who has built a temple to the pagan god Baal and is worshiping him. A king over God's people worshiping this and that's how far things fall in a relatively short period of time. What's the implication for us? The implication for us, it would be something like this. Are we falling into the trap of worshiping the gods of the peoples around us? And and as I was thinking about this, I I jotted down a question that I think would help us kind of, uh, of identify maybe what some of these lowercase g gods are. And and it's this. If God called you to do something, what would keep you from saying yes? I was having a conversation with with, uh, one of the guys in the church yesterday, and he was talking about he was reading through the Psalms and, and, you know, he really felt like that there were some questions in there that he was asking that maybe weren't the best, you know, like he was just struggling with David and, and how he's asking these why questions. And he, and he's kind of having this wrestling match with God. And he said, you know, I've just, I've just never been to a place like that in my life. And I said, well, just wait. Cause you will one day. And I think for some of us, what we get into is we get into this situation where we feel like God calls us, but we say, yeah, but. There's a, a story in the scriptures, an account of, 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 Elijah. And it was during this kingship of, of King Ahaz. Now the Bible, it's interesting that you get in here and, and it says that King Ahaz was, was so evil that even the evil of the kings that came before him was trivial in the mind, like was trivial trivial in the mind of Ahaz, like Ahaz was a bad dude, and then he marries this woman named Jezebel, and the next thing you know, like I mean, things are bad, and so Elijah is this man of God. Matter of fact, he may have been the only voice left for God in the midst of all this 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 idol worship. And he goes to King Ahaz and he says, "Hey, I want you to 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 gather all these people together. I want to get you to gather all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asher, and I want you to meet me on this mountain." And so they meet on Mount Carmel and. He says, we're going to find out today who the real God is. And he says something real, real, he makes a real strong statement. He says, if God is God, then worship him, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. But today you need to make a decision. And so they're on this mountaintop and he says, I want us to build two altars. We're going to find out today who the real God is. We're going to build two altars this one we're gonna to build to, the, to, to, to Baal and we're gonna build it up and we're gonna put a thing on there and then you pray and when Baal answers and fire falls from heaven and consumes this and we'll know he's the real God if that doesn't happen and then we're gonna have mine over here and we'll see who the real God is today. And so the prophets of Baal and Asher, they're over there and they're cutting themselves or they're, they're praying and, and, and nothing happens. And, and, and Elijah said, well, maybe he's out of town or asleep or busy doing something else. Why don't you just cry out a little louder? So they start wailing and crying and they're cutting themselves. And this goes on all day long and, and nothing happens. And so when it's when it's Elijah's turn he goes over to his his altar and he says all right I want you to go fill up these cisterns with some water and bring it in here I want you to dump it all over the I want you to dump it all over this 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 altar And he says now I want you to do it a second time in fact, this time, why don't you dig a trench around the bottom of the altar so that all that water that runs off will fall into this 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 trench around here? And so the 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 the, the, the altar is is soaked. The offering is soaked. And, and Elijah, and I'm paraphrasing here, prays something along these lines: God. Would you make yourself known today that you are the one true God, that the peoples would know you and worship you? And as he's praying this, fire literally falls from heaven and consumes the the offering, the bull, it laps up the water, everything. It scorched earth is left behind. Leaves no doubt in the minds of the people who the one true God really is. And now they're left with this choice, right? And of course, they're all saying, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow this one." And here's the thing that we have got to understand: there is one, one true God, and there is not room in our life for anything, for, for any other item of worship. What is the, what is the scriptures go on? And let's look again at at our, at the Bible today. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter six and he says, uh, he says, but take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord, your God, you shall fear. Now this is not like English fear, like a prisoner uh, fearing his executioner or, or, or a slave fearing an abusive master. It's not anything like that. You see, biblical fear has a different connotation altogether. It is a, it is a awe or a magic. Matter of fact, I wrote it down. Let me, let me read it so that I don't mess this up. It is a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God, and awe and respect for the majesty, the magnificence, the power, the everything of God. But here's the thing we can get very cavalier and flippant in our attitude toward God. We can be very casual in our relationship with the Lord. And we can say our hands are raised high, but our hearts are far from him. And Moses is warning the people, do not forget the Lord. And he's not talking about forgetting like they just forget where I sat in my car keys. It is a waning of, 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 of devotion don't let your hearts wander from the Lord. He is the one you are to love. He is the one that you are to worship. Amen. But too many times, we, we are, man, our hearts are idol factories. And so, so, so when we talk about idols, I'd put it into two types of categories. There's either something that is preventing you from doing what God has called you to do, or it's saying, if I could just have this I would be happy. If I could just make this much money, I would be happy. Idol number one. If I could just meet the person that I'm to spend the rest of my life with, then I'll be happy, idol number two. If I could just reach this measure of success in my my profession, idol number three see, what we've done is we've started saying, I need Jesus and something else in order for me to be fulfilled. I need Jesus and something else in order for me to be happy. I need Jesus and, maybe we're not even saying and, maybe we're not even thinking about Jesus. Maybe we're just thinking about what I, what's next in my, the pursuit of my career or my professional development or what's next in my relationship or what's next in my finance, what's next, what's next, what's next. If I could just get here. But you know what I found out over the years? That when I get there, whatever's there is not enough, right? I always want something more. I always want something better. If I could just get to the point that I could buy just a newer car, but then that newer car after six months isn't new enough. We want something newer or better, or there's been a remodel and you want the new one. Why? Because there's nothing satisfying there. There's only one thing that genuinely satisfies our soul. And it's Christ. Matter of fact, I've got got some scriptures that I want to read to you that that kind of hit on that very very topic. Um, As we we get into it, it says, uh, listen to some of what these says. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 107 says this, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 22, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your your hearts live forever. Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, it is God who truly satisfies. Now, look at the next verse. Uh, He he says... uh, lest you forget the Lord, he said, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after uh, other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord God in your midst is a jealous God. Now this isn't jealous, like, who are you texting? Who sent you that Facebook message? I don't like you sitting next to my husband. It's not that kind of jealousy. Like we have this jealousy in us that sometimes can be petty and oftentimes ridiculous. Like we we can be just jealous of things. Someone pulls up in a new truck. Wish I could have a new truck, right? Like there are things that we just just get jealous of. This isn't the type of jealousy that God has. It's God is zealous for the things that belong to him. And God is not going to let his praise go somewhere else. Who was it? Let's go back and and remind ourselves. Who was it that was giving them great and good cities that they did not build? Who was giving them houses that they did not build and did not fill? Who was giving them cisterns that they didn't have to dig? Who was giving them vineyards and, 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 and olive groves that they did not plant? Who was driving their enemies out before them? who was doing that? It was God who set them free from Egyptian slavery. It was the Lord who provided for them as they wandered through the wilderness. It was the Lord who protected them in that wandering. It was the Lord. Now let's, let's extrapolate this out for us. Who set you free? God did. Who led you out of darkness into his marvelous light? God did. Who set you free from the bondage of sin and let you run in freedom because it is by, if it is for freedom, Christ has set you free? Who does all that? He does. And he is not going to let his praise go to another. He is a jealous God. Now that's not hard for us to ration, to reason out, is it? That we have a God who set us free why would we give his praise to something else? But if we're not careful, it's exactly what we do. It's exactly what we do. And we don't go into it, here's the thing, because he's gonna talk about this here in just a little bit. Well, let's keep reading it because I don't I wanna jump ahead. The so Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and he destroy you off the face of the earth. This goes back to the, the fearing the Lord, the awe. You see, there's an aspect of awe that understands that there is a fear associated with this. What does uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, makes reference to it uh, in, in Hebrews? Um, let me see if I can find it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So if we have a healthy adoration for the Lord, we're also going to have a healthy fear of, what, his, of what, he, what he is capable of doing. And the sad thing is the Israelites, they're not heeding the words of Moses here. In fact, if you've studied the history, history of the Israelites, what you see is this very cyclical nature that begins to happen. They're worshiping the Lord, they start getting comfortable, and they fall away from him. Then they're falling into some idolatry and God punishes them. Maybe he lets other people's group come in and take them captive again, or or they just they find themselves in some sort of punishment. They return to the Lord, they repent, they start living in God's blessings once again, they fall into sin and idolatry, God brings punishment, they repent, live in God's blessing. You know, it's just this cyclical nature over and over again until finally God just disperses his people. But there, you know, there's an aspect of this where there's there's that healthy fear. So there's and there's consequences for the action. So he says, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa." Now Massa was what happened there was uh, they'd been wandering in the wilderness. God had provided and met every need, but they they get thirsty one day, and they start griping. God brought us out here in the desert just to kill us. We're so thirsty so quick to forget all the other times that God had provided and met every need in their life. And God provides water from a rock and it said, but but let me give you let me give you a modern day parable of what this looks like in our life. This testing. It's Sunday. Oh, God is good. Woo! Yeah. It doesn't happen here. It should. But it doesn't always happen here. That would be good one day, hint, hint. So anyway, we're sitting here and we're praising God, man, I got my promotion and I got my raise and man, God is good. He answered this prayer and and God has healed these people and man, it's just good. And then like, and that's on Sunday and woo, God is good. By Thursday, we're like, man, I don't know if God exists. Oh, God, if you're real, God, if you're real, would you please do this? Now, you see the completely different attitude there? Like over here, like I am so convinced that God is real and by Thursday, I'm over here and I'm like, God, if you're real, man. Oh, if you exist, if you love me. Can I just be real and transparent right now? Just not sure God exists. And we waft between these two opinions God is good, God is great, all this stuff, and by Thursday I'm over here and I'm just, I'm I'm waiting. And that's exactly what he's kind of talking about here, this testing. That we put God to the test despite all his prior faithfulness. Despite all he's done, we're asking God to defend his holiness. We're asking him to defend his faithfulness. God, you provided here, but because you haven't provided today, I'm questioning whether or not you really exist. Maybe it's just coincidence I got that raise. Maybe it's just coincidence or doctors that healed my sick loved one. That if things aren't going well all the time, boy, we we start getting antsy. And we start wondering if God really is who God says he is. So he says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Why? Moses knew in his history and experience of following God that there were going to be moments where life was going to be difficult. That they weren't going to just show show a badge as they walked up to the city of Jericho and said, hey, we're God's people. We need you to evacuate the premises. And they were going to go, oh, okay. Let me just go. Here, take my clothes and take my food and take everything else. We're just going to leave. That there was gonna be difficulty, there were gonna be trials, there was gonna be fighting that was gonna happen, but they could, they did not need to question God's goodness or God's faithfulness or God's holiness. Sounds a lot like our lives, doesn't it? We get saved and we wanna believe that everything is gonna be like perfect. I'm not going to fight with my spouse anymore. My kids are going to be saints, not only for other people, but they're going to be saints for me. Man, my career trajectory is just going to take off because God's going to bless there. Like everything is going to be good. All my relationships are going to be perfect. And then what begins to happen? Basically, we'd call it the effects of sin. Whoa, God is good. Now I'm over here, God, you don't exist because she's nagging me again about what way I put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. Right? Like that's what we do though. We have a spiritual high, and then the next minute something happens a fight with a spouse, or my kid gets sent to the office, and I'm like, God, if you are real, why is this bad stuff happening to me? And all of a sudden we're doubting God's goodness in other areas of life because there's a little bit of difficulty. In another one, he's saying, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. If he is God, then serve him and follow him and worship him and love him and do it a thousand miles an hour at a thousand percent. And if he's not, go over here. Kind of sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? When he's talking about the churches in Revelation, he said, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. And we say, what's so bad about lukewarm? It's this wafting. God, you are good. God, do you exist? God, you are good. God, I'm good. And we're just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And when we do that and we're wondering, God, where is the joy that your word has promised me? Where's that joy in my life and that peace in my life? Where are all these blessings and all these things that you have promised me because I'm a child of God. We're, we're, we're spending too much time wavering between two opinions. We're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That we never get a taste of the fullness of God. God, you are good. Even in the midst of my current struggles, you are good and you are in control. Even in the midst of my current pain, you are good and you are in control. Even in the midst of my current trials and storms, you are good. And you are in control. You are good. You are good. And you are in control. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just think that with me. You are good. And you are in control. You are good and you are in control. I want you to right now, as our eyes are closed, would you be willing to pray, God, I want to be hot for you. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be hot one minute And I don't want to be cold the next. That God, you are my plan A, and there is no plan B, there's no plan C or plan D. But God, would you just help me follow you? God, I sang some songs this morning that maybe i sang him but i really didn't mean him every day it's you i live for every day i'll follow after you every day and god maybe this morning when i was singing that song i sang it but it really wasn't true. I sang it, but it really wasn't deep down in my heart that you are the thing that I want to pursue. Maybe there's some idols in my life that I just wasn't really recognizing. Maybe it's the next thing Or maybe it's the thing that's really keeping me from following you the way that I ought to be following you. I would, Lord, but you know, I got this job and I really can't leave it behind. I would, Lord, but I got this friend. I would, Lord, but, I would, Lord, but. And God, I pray that you would change my heart and our hearts From yeah, but to I will. God, you are good. And God, you are in control. And Father, help us to love you as you deserve to be loved and worship you as you deserve to be worshiped and honored and praised, and magnified, and testified about, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand and our musicians come forward, we're going to...